Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Good evening. Thank you for everybody who's joining us tonight online again. This is still rather foreign to us, and uh, we're still working out some of the buzzes and and, and beeps and clunks and things like that. So thank you for being understanding and joining us tonight. I want you to know that tonight I'm very excited again about uh, the message that I have for you this evening. Uh, I'm going to share a few testimonies and some things that I've learned this week as well. But before we get started tonight, I think it would be appropriate if collectively all of us that are online and watching tonight and together here uh, at Abundant Life, if we just opened our time in prayer together and invite God into this service and, uh, and just reach out to him. We want him to be with us. We want him to know that we are attentive to his call and his direction. Lord, we're very thankful, God, for all that you're doing for us at this time. Lord Jesus, we appreciate you, God, for the privilege and the honor that it is to serve in your kingdom. Lord, I pray tonight that I am a vessel for you, for the word that you've given for me, that, that it will enhance, it will calm, it will bring great encouragement to your people, God, that we would do your will, we would be continuing to follow Follow your way, Lord Jesus, being faithful, being strong, and knowing that your hand is in all things, and that all things that happen are according to your will. We give you thanks, God. We appreciate you. We bless you, Lord. We bless your name. We lift you up. And I pray for every soul that's watching tonight, continued anointing and health, God. Shelter and protect every single person, Lord, from this infection that's out there, Lord. We, we ask for a swift recovery for our nation. God, we ask for wisdom for our leadership, for our president and all those in government making decisions right now. We know that great things are happening. We know that you are in this game. We know that you are watching over us. And Lord, we just continue to praise and thank you for that. And we ask you for your continued favor. In Jesus' name we pray and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to dive on in tonight, and I'm going to get started. First of all, I just want you to know that I've been in continuous contact with pastors around the area in our section here uh, amongst our fellowship, and we're hearing some excellent news. I know that there were many uh, hundreds of people that had joined us in our broadcast on Sunday, and we're so very thankful for that, and uh, lots of great comments, lots of positive things uh, as people commented and felt encouraged, and I so much very much appreciate that as this is, again, such a foreign thing for me at this point, and many of our pastors unused to that. And uh, in addition to that, we're hearing stories of other people connecting with churches. We're hearing testimonies of people that are reaching out that hadn't been involved with the church for some time or are feeling like they need to get a little bit closer to God, that this was is all this is about, is that it is, it is causing us to recognize and understand uh, how small we are in this thing and how important God is in our lives and that we put him at the center of it once again. Again, we've also heard stories. There are some folks, unfortunately, uh, we've heard word of a couple of folks in our fellowship right here in Milwaukee that have been tested positive for the COVID virus. But uh, one story that came out today, a man who was brought into the hospital was not doing well, was struggling, was actually at a point where they said his survival possibility was 30 to 40%. I want you to know that he walked out of the hospital today, asked to go into a quarantine in phenomenal condition. His fever has dropped, his breathing has improved and they have sent, it home, sent him home to quarantine for 14 days and said that he is feeling great. The doctors actually saw the Bible in his hand that he took into the hospital with him, looked at him this morning and said, God has healed you because you've been a faithful servant and acknowledged that he was a Christian. 
And these are many more stories that are, are, are going to come. And we know that there are more testimonies because God is in this. If we remain faithful and we understand that all things happen according to his will and we're faithful to him, he will see us through. Now, of course, we know that, that the Bible says that the just and the unjust have reign upon them. There, there's just no doubt about that. Life is life, and, and Christians get cancer, and Christians get in car accidents, and Christians go bankrupt, and all of those things. And so we know that this thing can be very devastating. It can affect anybody, but we just really encourage you to continue to be positive and faithful and just know that God is watching over us as we continue to pray for our, our, our congregations and we continue to minister and trust in God. Spend time in prayer each morning. Get up and talk to him. Talk to God. Thank him for another day. Get a hold of him. Begin to build your relationship greater than you ever have. Get into his word. Get a hold of the Bible. If you don't have one at home, get on Google and, and, and search. There's multiple resources you can find. There's apps that you can put on your phone and begin to get into his word and begin to build a relationship with him. Now is the time. Now is the opportunity to do that. And, and we just feel that, uh, that God is moving in this situation. I want to talk to you this evening tonight. I'm going to go ahead and dive on into the Word. If you've got your Bibles with you, I'll try to be uh, careful about not going too fast and letting you catch up on these. Uh, but I feel that God has given me a message related uh, to the temple tonight. I want to talk to you about the temple. On Sunday morning, uh, my message was really oriented around captivity, and I talked a lot about uh, Israel and, and, and all of the mistakes that they made and the multiple times that they were drawn into captivity because of their failure, because they did turn from God, because they, they just could not continue to follow his statutes. They were drawn away by, by their own wealth and by their own distractions and, and other people and serving other gods. And as I moved forward and I began to study and it just felt like God was directing me in this direction, I wanted to continue a little bit in that vein, and I wanted to talk to you tonight about the temple. So I'm going to guide you right now to uh, the book of 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. This is a verse, this is a, a patch of scripture that many of you in, in the church and have studied for many years are very familiar with. We quote it often, but I just felt like tonight I want to take a part of this, and I'm gonna, I've got more to it, but I want to break it down for you. I want to talk a little bit further about what God had, had intended in this scripture in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Now, I'm going to go ahead and read verses 11 through 16, and then I'd like to talk a little bit further about uh, where we're at. I want to set the stage for exactly what's happening in Israel at this time. Second Chronicles chapter 7, starting at verse 11, says this. It says, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of the Lord, and in his own house he prosperously effected. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. Now verse 14, if my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and my ears attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually." 
That's God speaking to the chronicler. Now, we believe the chronicler, the person who wrote this book, First and Second Chronicles, to be the prophet Ezra, although we don't know that for sure. It all fits as it was clearly written by a Levite priest. Now, the books of, of Kings and Chronicles are history of Israel, history of the kings and, and history of that territory uh, of Israel and everything that happened to it. And at this time, uh, Israel is, is, is coming towards the end of the great King David, David who slew Goliath, David who, who did many great works for God, who had many champion, or was many times a champion in battle against the enemies of Israel. His reign is coming to an end. And at one point, David sought God to build the temple in Israel. I'm talking about that big, massive, shiny building, that amazing temple that existed back in that time. The, uh, to this day right now, there's the Wailing Wall in Israel that represents that one final remaining piece of the temple that had been destroyed. And, and, and David wanted to build the temple, but God, God did not allow him to. God spoke to him and said, David, you've been a man of war. You've shed blood. I can't have you build my house. But he did allow David to be the planner. And he worked with David and he, he moved on David's heart, heart to plan the building of the temple. But that, that honor would fall on David's Son Solomon. Many people who are, are not extremely familiar with the Word of God even know King Solomon, Solomon's temple, Solomon's mines, the famous gold, and all of that stuff. Uh, stories have been told about Solomon's temple. But Solomon, his son, had the honor of being able to build the temple in Israel. This was a, this was a big deal. Israel had never had a temple, a house of worship, a place where they could gather together before besides tents and, and small structures and things as they'd wandered through the wilderness and, and, and on their way to the promised land all those many years ago, they did not have a temple. And so this was a grand and great thing that Solomon was bestowed the honor to build the temple for God in a place that God would dwell. And he promised that he would dwell there as you saw in those last couple of verses. Uh, he said that mine eyes will be there, my eyes will be open, my ears attend unto the prayer that happens in this place, in the temple. I've chosen and sanctified this house that my name would be there forever and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. So this is a, a, a wonderful promise to, uh, to King Solomon. And as, as David had passed and Solomon ruled and went through the process of building the temple, uh, Israel united in this process and he, he was able to take advantage of that, that wonderful honor that he had, the great honor that he had in his life. Uh, God gave uh, Solomon, tremendous wisdom. Many of you may know. Uh, God, at the time of his becoming the king, he even prayed to God and he said, I don't, I don't care about wealth. I don't want honor. I don't care about anything. I just want the wisdom to rule your people, God. And God being the God that he is, not only did he grant Solomon that, that great gift of amazing wisdom, said to be the wisest man who's ever lived, but he also granted all the other things that Solomon had turned away from. He gave him the riches. He gave him the wealth. He gave him uh, the honor uh, that he had, had so kindly and humbly set aside in, in the, for the sake of gaining wisdom. Now, I want you to keep in mind as, as we talk about things that happen in the Old Testament and these specific events, it's very critical when we study the word of God that you understand that 
the, the Old Testament in so many ways, while they were very real things that happened, they were real events, and, and these things are chronicled not only through scripture, but through history. There was a temple, there was a King Solomon, there was a King David. We know that through archaeology, we know that through study and through history, and, and even through secular history. But it's really important to understand that the Old Testament represents a type and shadow of things to come in the New Testament. Things were oftentimes symbolic, even though they happened for real. They were still symbolic of things that were to come in the New Testament. And so, for example, uh, things that we learn, it, it, the, the temple, for example, uh, is very important to understand that, yes, this represented a structure and a building. It represented the church, but there's a greater meaning to that. And I want to get to that shortly uh, in this message. Many things of the Old Testament, uh, as I said, while real, uh, just had such, there were such more personal aspects to what God wanted to bring when he brought the, the New Testament. He brought the birth of Christ and the message that was there of salvation. Uh, so Solomon had completed the temple. God was pleased. He promises that this temple is going to be a place where he dwells forever. Now, I know the type and shadow there is very easy to see, and that simply is, is that we have church. We have places of worship that we gather together. The Bible tells us uh, again and again we're exampled not to forsake the assembling, that special things happen here. God's presence dwells here. Doesn't mean that he can't hear you someplace else if you're praying, and certainly in this current circumstance, many of you obviously can't even be here in God's house, but there is something special. There's something important about the people of God gathering together focusing on worship of him, focusing in prayer, being together in, in fellowship, and, and God's spirit moves here in mighty ways. And many of you that have been in these services know as we worship together, there's just a powerful presence, a spirit that's here that's just tremendous. And so we're modeled that in the idea of the temple. And, 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 and so it's extremely important. Now, eventually, as Solomon's reign goes, uh, he, he is passing on to his son, Rehoboam. Uh, Rehoboam, his son, is going to become king and, and take over for Solomon. Now, Rehoboam wasn't exactly a bad king, and we know that from history and from scripture, uh, from this point forward, Israel had, had bad kings and had good kings, and unfortunately had more bad than good. And Rehoboam wasn't exactly a bad king per se, but one of the things that he did was making the decision to levy enormous taxes on the people when he took over. They had to keep up the temple, and he wanted to build more cities and more things. And, and, and perhaps pride had slipped in and, and, and overtaken Rehoboam's thinking. And, and so he had the opportunity to listen to the, to the wise and not levy the taxes, but he didn't. Uh, how much is that like our current government? I wonder uh, the, the abuse of taxes we see sometimes. But uh, he makes a decision to levy the taxes. And then, of course, then there's, there's unrest amongst the kingdom and the kingdom splits. And it becomes Israel in the northern part of the kingdom and Judah in the southern part. Now, as I said, there were very few good kings in, in, in Israel after this point. After this point in history, it declines. And there are many wicked kings that reign until the time when, when, when they get better and they do better and they get back with God's statutes and they do things properly. And, and then they fall back and they go forward again and fall back. And finally, it, it's enough. And God allows them to fall under the reign and the attack of the Babylonians. I mentioned that last week, Sunday. And they destroy the city of Jerusalem and they destroy utterly the temple that Solomon built. 
Now eventually, the Persian Empire under Cyrus routes the Babylonians and promises to rebuild the temple. He's a, he's a heathen king, and yet he is compelled. God moves on him, and he promises to help to rebuild the temple in Israel. But I want to take you back a chapter a little bit to show you where all of this starts. Because that commentary from God in, in, in 7 and 14 and 15 and 16 wasn't just spontaneous. It actually began with a prayer from Solomon as he was completing the temple. He reached out to God and he said this prayer in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, starting in verse 26. He said this as he prayed to God. He said, when the heaven, the heaven is shut up and there is no rain... Because they have sinned against ye, yet if they pray towards this place and confess thy name and turn from their sin, when thou dost afflict them, then hear thou from heaven and forgive the sin of thy servants and of thy people Israel. When thou hast taught them in the good way, wherein they should walk and send rain and then send rain upon thy land, when thou hast given unto thy people for an inheritance." I'll stop at verse 28 there. Now, I think it's important to, to take a look at something in these two scriptures, in, in, in this Second Chronicles 7 and 14 and, and, and so on, in this piece of scripture in chapter 6. God mentions, and, 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 and uh, Solomon mentions both in his prayer. First of all, the lack of rain, the shutting out of rain. Now, I think it's significant to understand that oftentimes drought was brought as, as a curse or as a punishment from God. He would stop the rains and there'd be tremendous drought. Why is it important? Because rain, of course, is, is tantamount to, to the survival for life, for the growth of crops. And so he knew, uh, God knew that in those times, if he affected their rain, if he affected their ability to eat, uh, that he could bring them to their knees, that he would, he would get their attention. Further on into that, he, he talks about bringing the locusts. Now, uh, I don't know if any of you know right now or if you've had a chance to pay attention with everything that's going on, but uh, uh, the Horn of Africa right now for several months has been under the siege of nearly 200 billion locusts. There's a locust plague happening in the world right now in Africa, and it's, uh, uh, it's ravaging crops. It's, it's, it, they're, they're moving quickly. I read today that locusts, those locusts that swarm that size, can eat as much food as all of the state of New York and California in just a matter of hours in one swarm. And they're affected by that right now. They're looking at something that could be so dramatically powerful. They're already short of resources. Uh, starvation is not uncommon there. Shortness, short of food and resources. And now they're facing a plague of locusts. Incredible. But that's what the locusts represent in that situation. The locusts represents the consuming of their crops. Again, food and water, not there. The drought, not, no water. The food ravaged by locusts. These are things that Solomon knew that God could bring upon the people if they continued to fail him, if they continued to turn away. Let's go on in, in verse 28, the continuum of his prayer. He said, if there be dearth in the land, if there be pestilence, if there be blasting or mildew, locusts or caterpillars, if their enemies besiege them in the cities of their land, whatsoever sore or whatsoever sickness there be, then what prayer or what supplica supplication soever shall be made of any man or of thy people Israel when everyone shall know his own sore and his own grief. It's talking about understanding, coming to the realization of what they've done to fail God. And shall spread forth his hands in his house. In other words, if they come, if they pray, Solomon's saying, look, if, they, if, you're, if they're going through all of these things, if they've made mistakes and they're, they're succumbing to the pressure, they're succumbing to the, to the, to the, the punishment of God, 
And he's saying if they pray and if they make supplication, uh, if they go to the house and they extend their hands in the house like we do when we pray, he says in verse 30, then hear thou from heaven thy dwelling place and forgive and render unto every man according unto all his ways whose heart thou knowest, for thou only knowest the hearts of the children of men. Folks, God knows your heart today. He knows your intents. If you've said in your heart, I don't need God, I have nothing to do with that. I go to church on Easter and Christmas and that's good enough. Uh, If you don't talk to him, you don't build a relationship, he knows your heart. If you're a person who's trying to reach out to him, just doesn't know, doesn't understand, maybe you don't have a, a, a faith tradition in your family, doing your best to talk to God and, and build a relationship, don't know which way to go or what to do, he knows your heart as well. Verse 31 says that, that they may fear thee to walk in thy ways so long as they live in the land which thou gavest unto our fathers. Does that sound familiar? Those were the exact words that God spoke back to Solomon Solomon in 2 Chronicles 7, as we read earlier. See, Solomon knows how God operates. He knows what he expects of his people. Look where his prayer goes from there. If we look at 2 Chronicles 6 and we go down to 32, starting at 32, he says, Moreover, concerning the stranger... And this is where that type and shadow thing steps in again. When, when Solomon talks about the stranger in this prayer, what he's talking about is people that aren't of God's uh, family. They're not Israelites. He's talking about other people, Gentiles. This is in type and shadow again of the message that Jesus brought in the New Testament. Whereas before that, Israel was the apple of God's eye. That was the focus of everything that he did. But here Solomon is praying and he's alluding to the idea that this is available to everyone. That this message is for everyone. He says, moreover, concern the stranger which is not of thy people Israel but is come from a far country for thy great name's sake and thy mighty hand and thy stretched out arm if they come and pray in this house then hear thou from the heavens even from thy dwelling place and do according to all that the stranger calleth thee for that all people of the earth may know thy name and fear thee as doth thy people Israel and may know that this house which I have built is called by thy name. What he's simply saying is, is God, if people come from other lands, if they're not your people of Israel, God, will you make this house a place where they can come and worship for your sake? Can they seek you? Can they beseech you for their needs? Can they pray? Can they ask forgiveness? Can they be freed from these curses? He's asking God to open up this message, this salvation, this church, this temple. He's asking them to open it up to all the people of the earth. That is a type and shadow of the message that is brought for all of us. Verse 34 goes on to say now he's giving some conditions of of what if they do it this way or what if they do it that way. Verse 34 says, if thy people go out to war against their enemies by the way that thou shalt send them and they pray unto thee toward this city which thou hast chosen and the house which I have built for thy name, then hear thou from the heavens their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. He's basically saying, listen, if you... If you send them out to war, if you direct them to fight against an enemy, you cause them to come against an enemy. He's praying that if they pray towards this city, if they honor you, God, if they honor this house, if they stay connected, he's saying, hear them. God, hear them and answer their prayer. Hear their supplication and maintain the fight. Fight with them. 
I would contend to you today that this message stands for this very hour that we're in. Just as Solomon prayed it to God, we're facing an enemy. We've gone out to an enemy we didn't ask for. We're up against an enemy that that we didn't call for. Uh, This isn't a terrorist attack like 9-11. This isn't an economic collapse like 2008. This isn't something that man created against himself. This is nature. This is something that's come against us, something so small we couldn't even see. It's an enemy that crept into our gates that we weren't even aware of. But we've gone out out to war against this enemy. And God, we're praying today. We're praying today that you'll hear our cause, that you'll maintain our cause and hear our prayer and supplication. He goes on in verse 36 and he says, and if they sin against thee, For there is no man which sinneth not. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But he says, and thou be angry with them and deliver them over before their enemies and they carry them away captives unto a far land, afar off or near. Yet if they bethink themselves in the land whither they are carried captive and turn and pray unto thee in the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned, we have done amiss and have dealt wickedly. If they return to thee with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, whither they have carried their captives and pray toward their land which thou gavest unto their fathers and toward the city which thou hast chosen and toward the house which I have built for thy name, then hear thou from the heavens even from thy dwelling place their prayer and their supplications." And maintain their cause and forgive thy people which have sinned against thee. Now, my God, let, I beseech thee, thine eyes be open and let thine ears be attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. Solomon made a tremendous prayer for all of those, all of us, all through, through, through following history into, into the future. He made a prayer to God for us that said, if, if we're going to fall, we're going to sin. And as he said, every man sins. We're all guilty of it. Nobody's perfect. Nobody that attends church now or has a greater relationship with God and one or the other, it doesn't work like that. We're all sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God. But Solomon makes a prayer to God and says, God, if they make these mistakes, if they turn away, if they're carried into captivity, but if they recognize it, if they see that they made a mistake and they know that they're amiss, hear their prayer, forgive them, Folks, I'm telling you today that this world, this country, this place that we've lived in, humanity, the culture that we live in, we have been carried off into the captivity of love for money, love for entertainment, love for personal pleasure, love for all of the things that are not pleasing to God, even those things that are neutral in God's eyes, entertainment, sports, even family, focus on things that are beyond him, gods that we've raised up before him. We are in captivity whether we realize it or not and now is the time to take hold of Solomon's prayer and take hold of the promise that God gave in this scripture he says it in that last piece the prayer that is made in this place it's time that we recognize that God needs to be the center as I said last Sunday it's time that we recognize that now is the time now is the opportunity to look introspectively God have I given you any time have I given you anything in my life do I even acknowledge you do I acknowledge your presence have I decided it in my mind as the Bible says the fool says in his heart there is no God do we really have a relationship with him do we really have the opportunity Do we really look inwardly? 
and seek God. Now is the time. Now is the opportunity. If you don't have a church when this thing is over with and you've got an opportunity, I'm compelling you. Find a place. If it's not here, someplace else. But begin to seek God. This is the time that God is calling his people. These things are not just simple natural occurrences. Yes, they are happening in nature, but we're seeing earthquakes like never before. We're seeing pestilences like never before. Uh, we're seeing locusts again in, in massive swarms, destroying crops and devastating lands. I'm not a crazy person. I'm not reaching out. I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, blowing up these stories just for the sake of being sensationalist. I'm not the only person that's looking around this world and saying, wow, what in the world is going on? I read it in, in, uh, online today. There are journalists that right now are looking at the locusts, looking at the volcano thing that, that happened in, in Hawaii recently, the massive fires that happened in Australia, the earthquakes taking place in Utah right now. I have a friend in, whose family's in Ukraine. They're experiencing earthquakes in places they'd never experienced before. These aren't just the, the, the crazy rantings of an old preacher guy who just wants people to come to his church. These are real things that are happening. Secular journalists are, are, are literally writing today, what in the world? is going on and my answer to you today is God is not pleased God wants us to turn back to him and today's the day now is the opportunity to do that it's all been about the temple it's always been about the temple since that very time the center of God's universe the place where his spirit dwelt I want to go back to that scripture as I promised you I'm going to break it down now 2 Chronicles chapter 7, starting at verse 11. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. Now the king, he finished his own house. And it says, and all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of the Lord. And in his own house, he prosperly effective, effected. Excuse me. God even allowed Solomon to build his own house in grandeur and in an amazing wealth. And it says in 12, and the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. Now I want you to understand in scripture when we talk about the house, we talk about the temple. I said there's other meaning to that. I'm gonna explain that here shortly. But when we talk about sacrifice in the house, yes, at that time they were killing animals. They were sacrificing animals to God. That's the way he designed it. That's the way he defined it. Today, the type and shadow we have of sacrifice is prayer. We pray, that's our sacrifice, that's our humility. When we come into this house and we spend time in prayer, that's the sacrifice that God expects in this era, under this dispensation. Verse 13 says, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence amongst my people. Notice he says, if I do this. Notice he says, amongst my people. He's not talking about attacking foreigners or heathens in foreign lands. He's talking about if I shut up these, uh, this rain, if I create these locusts. These are the things. He's answering Solomon's prayer. Because Solomon, when he said it, he said, when you shut up the rain, when you bring the locusts, he understand that this was God's way of bringing, getting their attention, God's way of bringing judgment against them. But here again is the promise I want to break down to you. Verse 14, it says, if my people, my people, what does it take to be called my people, to be one of God's? It takes a relationship. We've got to have a relationship with him. He's got to know who we are. The book of Matthew chapter 7, 
talks about a time in that day, talking about the day of judgment where we'll stand before God. It says, in that day, many will say unto me, Lord, Lord, have we not done many great things in your works? And, all, it, and it lists all of these things that, that's, that this person is pleading with them. That, that God, we did things. We, we did all the Christian-y things. We did the things that you asked us to do. But he looks at him and says, depart from me that you work iniquity, for I knew you not. That word know in scripture literally means intimacy. In this case, spiritual intimacy. What he was saying is, I didn't have a relationship with you. If you want to be called my people, you've got to have a relationship with God. He goes on to say, which are called by my name. Folks, I talked about it on Sunday. There's one way to be called by his name. It's being baptized into him. The Bible says that when we're baptized into Christ, we put on Christ. We literally take on his name. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Well, that's easy enough to know. And pray. Get down on your knees. Be willing to humble yourself before God. God, I haven't put you at the center of my life. I haven't, I haven't even acknowledged you. I get up and I go about my day-to-day business and, 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 I, and I take care of my family and I'm a good person and I, I do good things and I give to charity and, 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 uh, and I don't break any laws and I pay my bills. But have you humbled yourselves before him? Have you created a relationship? Do you really have that deep abiding relationship that he's looking for? He goes on to say in that, in that same verse, he says, and seek my face. Well, what does that mean to seek his face? Any of you that ever had a toddler in the house know that they'll come up to you and they'll pull on your pant leg. Dad, 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 dad. And they'll continue to say your name, your name over and over and over again. They'll pull your leg. Dad, 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 dad. When do they stop? They stop when you finally stop what you're doing and you turn and you look them in the face. And then they say what it is that they have to say. I believe that God intends the same thing, that we continuously call on him. Whatever it is that we need, whatever it is that's going on in our lives, seek his face. And then it says, and turn from their wicked ways. Now that word wicked is a strong word. Pastor, are you saying that I'm a wicked person if, if I just pay my bills and take care of my family and live my life? Are you saying I'm wicked? Well, I want to be careful about that word because there's a long range of things that are displeasing to God. And whether it be something as simple as keeping them out of your life or, or, or being a bank robber or a murderer or someone who, who hurts people, it doesn't matter if we don't have the relationship with him. But then he says, if you do these things, if you humble yourselves, if you pray, if you seek my face and turn from your wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Folks, I've seen this scripture passed around Facebook probably a hundred times in the last week. I've seen it in media. People are calling out for their, their land to be healed. And in this particular verse, it doesn't necessarily mean the soil of the land. It means the land. This land that we love is besieged right now. And people are calling out for God to heal our land. But there's, there's a commitment that we have to make. There's a relationship that you have to build. I want to stress again, it doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't, it doesn't make you a horrible person. 
Everybody's at a different place of learning and understanding God in their walk. I've been in the church for 38 years. I've been a a pastor for just a a, a few years, an associate pastor for a number, a senior for just a few months. But I can tell you that to this day, I'm still learning about God and what he expects of me. I'm still diving into this word every single day, trying to understand, learn more about his will, seek his face, humble myself and pray, put him at the center of my life. He says, and again, verse 16, for now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name be that may be there forever and mine eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. He's here, folks. He's in churches all over the place. If you, if you gather together in your home and pray together with your family, if you have devotion time, he's there. But there is something special. There's something important about the temple. I'm gonna take you into the New Testament now. And I'm going to move along quickly here. Look at John chapter 2 in the New Testament. John chapter 2. Guess where Jesus is? He's in the temple. This is the place in scripture where he he comes back to the temple in Jerusalem and and money changers had taken over bankers and people buying and selling and trading. And Jesus, even in his his own perfect holiness without sin, in in, in anger, uh, runs into this place and begins to turn over the tables and topple everything over and say, this is the house of God. This is the temple. Get out of here. This is a holy place. The Israelites at the time had defiled it with their their trading. Their focus was on money and and, and personal possession and belongings. God was an afterthought. God was, again, on the periphery of of what he expected in in, in their lives. But look what happens when the the money changers and the people around them speak out to Jesus. In John chapter 2, starting at verse 18, it says, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto this? Why are you doing this, they're saying, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. See, that's the type and shadow that's even more important than this building. It's this body, this temple that we have. Us. The thing that God holds most dear, his creation. When he was talking about destroying this temple and in three days he'd raise it up, he wasn't talking about the building. He was talking about the time when they would take him and crucify him. And in three days he'd be resurrected. But of course they didn't understand. They were seeing things. They were just hearing things without understanding, without spiritual understanding. Look how the Apostle Paul teaches it to the already saved Christians In the city of Corinth, if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 10, Paul's writing to the Corinthians. He says, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. He's talking about building up the body of Christ, building the church. I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. In other words, he's talking about building the church, not the physical building, but the church, the body of believers, continuing to spread the message. Paul was responsible for writing the majority of the New Testament. 
He says, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. What he's saying is, is you better be careful how you build on what he's laying. The foundation is the word of God. The foundation is the gospel that he got as Jesus inspired him, as he, as he converted from Saul to Paul. And, and Jesus called him into the ministry. He was a terrible person. He was a murderer of Christians when he was Saul. But God sought him for some reason. He saw this man to be a powerful opportunity to change him and convert him and make, her a spread, make him a spreader of the gospel. And he says, I lay the foundation. He's talking about the beginning of the growth, that this, this message that would transverse the whole planet at some point. He says, but be careful how you build hereupon. In other words, don't don't be loose about it. There's, there, there's not multiple ways to do this. You can't infuse your own will. You can't do this haphazardly. Listen to what he says in verse 11. He says, for other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. What is he saying? He's saying there's one truth. There's one message. Folks, we live in a world where there's been a lot of foundations that have been laid all over the place. From this point on, there have been many thousands of different types of religions, different types of faiths, different type of approaches even to Christianity. But none of that matters if it veers away from the word of God. None of it matters if it's not the foundation that Christ laid. He is the rock. He's the cornerstone. And Paul is building upon it. And he's warning future generations, be careful how you lay this. Because if you're not doing it the way Jesus laid it, you're not doing it right. Verse 12 says, now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it. It's talking again about the judgment day. When he's saying, when he's talking about building it with silver and precious stones and wood or hay or stubble, he's saying if you're just trying to figure this thing out, if you're creating your relationship with God, if you're walking in a way that's defined by you or defined by somebody else that isn't true to the foundation that was laid, you're going to be in trouble because there's a day that's going to declare it. It'll be made manifest. He's talking about the day we stand before God in judgment. He says it further like this in verse 13, because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. In other words, if it was done right, if it was done according to the word of God, if you followed it the way the word laid it out, he said it's going to abide, it's going to last, it's going to be okay. And he shall receive a reward. But look at verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. 16. Know ye not that you are the temple of God. You see, again, it goes back to that structure. Solomon built that temple. It was a physical building. He did it exactly according to the plan that God gave David, exactly the way God gave his father. This is talking about building a temple, this temple the right way. How do you build it? How do you do this? What does it mean, pastor? It means getting into the word of God. How do I get saved? How do I properly pray? How do I live my life for God? It's defined in the word exactly. Exactly. It's not open for interpretation. I hear that far too often. Everybody interprets the Bible their own way. No, there's not. There are meanings to words and there are not meanings to words. The Bible was written in Hebrew and Greek. The definitions are clear. We can search those out. We find them in Bible study. We dig a little bit deeper. It's not a mystery that can't be known. 
If that were true, God would be dangling something that would be something that people couldn't attain in some cases. That's not the God we serve. He's definitive. He's pure in his word. Verse 17, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. I'm afraid, unfortunately, in this world, we've got people as a routine matter spend their lives defiling the temple of God, defiling themselves, indulging in things that are destructive and hurtful, abusing substances, abusing themselves. It's not pleasing to God. Let's look at Paul's continued examination of this as he writes again to the Corinthians in chapter 6, looking at verse 19. He goes on and he says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have, got, ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What he's talking about when he says you're bought with a price. He's talking about that beautiful Savior, that God that we serve that hung on a cross and died so that we could have redemption, so that that Holy Ghost could come back to us like I talked about on Sunday. He's talking about the Spirit that can dwell within us. I'm closing with this. I want to take you to Acts chapter 2. Just in thought, you don't have to turn there. I spent a lot of time in it on Sunday. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus sends his disciples, if you remember, I said, back to Jerusalem to pray and wait for the power from on high. He's talking about the Holy Ghost. He said, go and wait. I'll send a comforter in my name. He said, I'm going to come back to you and be a comforter. Where were they? They were in the temple in Jerusalem. Just as the Spirit of God flowed into that physical structure of the ancient temple and filled the disciples, God wants to fill your temple with his Spirit. It's that critically important. It's that simple just as they were physically there in that building and the spirit rushed in as it said and filled the house where they were standing he wants to fill you how does it happen it takes being in these services it takes building a relationship with God hearing the word of a pastor or a minister praying and worshiping together that's how it happens for us that's how it happens in this temple that's how it happens in this temple and then finally, I'm closing with this strict scripture, excuse me, back to the Apostle Paul, going up to the next book, 2 Corinthians. In chapter 6, starting at verse 16, he writes to the Corinthians there, and he says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. What a phenomenal promise. This is for everybody, folks. It's a promise to you and to me. And as it said in Acts chapter 239, I shared with you last week, that promise is to you and to your children and all those that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I'm challenging you tonight. I'm challenging you. Is God calling you? Are you feeling something in your heart that's saying, yes, I'm connecting what he's saying. We have no place with idols. 
meaning putting things out there above us, jobs and money and possessions and belongings and entertainment. We've got no right with those idols. Are they part of our lives if we don't abuse them, if we don't put them above God? Sure, absolutely. But we're the temple of the living God. He dwells in us if we allow him. And he promises to be our God. I'll reiterate to you one last time as I'm closing tonight. Come out from among them. What does it mean? It simply means separate yourself. Decide today, I'm going to step up. I'm going to establish a real relationship with God. I'm going to find a Bible study somewhere. I want to learn more about what this guy's talking about. I want to know what it means to be a Christian, really be a Christian according to the word, the foundation that Paul was talking about, the foundation that was laid, that Jesus Christ laid. What does it mean to follow those words? Come out from among them. Separate yourself. Doesn't mean turn away from everybody in your life. Doesn't mean judge people or, or set yourself higher above than anybody else. It simply means take a step. We can always do better. We can raise the bar in our relationship with God. Folks, I want to challenge you tonight that when this thing is all over, there's going to be opportunity opportunity to get together. You can gather here at my church. We're located at 995 South Sawyer Road in Oconomowoc. You can call the church here again at 262-965-5177. Leave a message. Uh, contact us in any way that you can. Just sit down and have a Bible study. Let us take you into the word of God and show you exactly what this wonderful manuscript has to say and help, us, help you define exactly what it is to lay a foundation. I'll be ready. I want to help some folks. Over the years, I've had the privilege, privilege of teaching literally hundreds of Bible studies and having people stand up and say, I never knew that was in there. I never understood that that's what God meant. I didn't know what that word meant. I didn't know that the book of Acts existed. I didn't understand what this was all about. This is fascinating. And we dive in and, and, a, and a three or four lesson Bible study turns into five or six or sometimes 12 and even more. This is an opportunity today for us to look inside ourselves, recognize that what's happening in this world is meaningful. God's calling people today. And I encourage you, I encourage you to reach out to him. Thank you for joining us again tonight. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and we'll continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.